Welcome to the Once Upon a Leader in Africa podcast with George Nudu. We invite you to listen to influencers and opinion shapers narrating their experiences from their leadership roles in Africa, from the world of business, community development, government, corporate, social enterprise, among others. We will glean from their good, bad and ugly side of their leadership journey and be inspired to overcome adversity, to pursue success against all odds, to be a great leader and many other lessons. Welcome to the podcast and here's George Nudu. Hello, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. Hello, George. Thank you for this invitation. Well, thank you. Thank you for agreeing. You know, it was uh, just reading your profile on LinkedIn. I thought, wow, I think Sarah has got a great story to tell and it will be inspiring to experience an emerging leader. So thank you for accepting. Let's start from the beginning, Sarah. Tell us a little bit just about yourself. I am a managing director at Group M currently, which is a media group. Uh, which is part of WPP. WPP is the biggest uh, agency um, in Kenya and across the continent. I'm in charge of four agencies that are all in the same discipline of media, offline and online. Uh, so that is what I do on a day-to-day basis, Monday to Friday, 8 to 5. And then I do quite a bit of other things out of work. Um, I'm a board member for Sherry Blair Foundation for Africa. I am a mentor for Halt Prize, which is a young, um, an international organization that is, is in social entrepreneurship. And they work in campus to just get young people to get to become, you know, entrepreneurs and to start businesses that will help solve today's challenges. I do quite a bit in education and youth empowerment. Those are kind of like my passion points. Um, And therefore, I do quite a bit with Strathmore. I run a program with them called Crucible that allows us to get young people into marketing fields when they're still young and just getting them ready for their careers. So I think that's a bit about myself. Wow. I, I mean, just hearing you, your plate looks full. How do you manage all those responsibilities? I think it's about balance. I don't pick up things that are, you know, balance and purpose. I don't pick up projects that don't fit into the things that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about young people. I'm passionate about education. So I hugely do projects in those two sectors, but also it's balance, you know. So I also, you know, I'll still go for a holiday. I'll still take leave and and take a break. But I've learned when you learn how to be efficient, a day, you know, 12 hours a day is quite a lot of time if you learn how to just manage your time. And as I've grown older, I think I've become better about how efficient I am with my time. Yeah, definitely. Efficiency is very, very key. And I think talking about passion and focusing on the things that you're interested in. So that's good to know. So if you, if you look back, you know, where can you say your, your leadership journey began? You know, I was really thinking about it and I was like, where did I actually, for the first time, feel like, you know, my leadership is starting? And it's a long time ago at a company called Red Sky, TBWA Red Sky. Uh, it was my first job in advertising. And I joined them as an account executive. And then after a year, I was an account manager. And that's the first time I felt like I was a leader, right? 
and you know how to manage a team of creatives <laughs> you know to be able to get them to work together to deliver great work to manage people it was my first time ever to manage people i failed greatly but i also succeeded but more so i learned i learned so much about how to manage people i learned about team dynamics and how to ensure your team have a good team dynamic i learned a lot about culture there about you know ensuring people want to come to work they just they don't come to work because they get to you know they actually enjoy coming to work and that is the first time i really started thinking about how much you need to learn to be a leader beyond the technical skills that are needed to be a leader the soft skills that are needed to be a leader so for me that was the first place that's where my leadership journey started that is about 2010 2009 2010 okay you've been on it for quite a while huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes i've been with wpp for 15 years so what are some of the key things that you have learned that have enabled you to be successful in your ceo role I've learned that technical at some point when you're senior your technical skills are you know of course you have technical skills that's where you're at the level you're at right but the soft skills are so important you know and I've learned that we we somehow over index on on hard skills technical skills and we forget the soft skills you know how to be a human leader and for me being human is very important how to ensure you're a people first leader and not just by saying it but by living it and practicing it and doing it and inspiring the leaders who work for you to be people first leaders every day you know the world is difficult right you know the last two years have been very complex with covid and it's almost like we are at a space where we have to become very creative leaders right we have to find solutions to not just our business challenges but people challenges you know the last two years i think have been hectic for people mental health being able to you know being stuck at your you know in your house and you're working every day you know and you still expect that person to come to work and deliver 100 how do you ensure that you're still checking and ensuring their mental health is well taken care of people are resting people are well engaged while they're working separately in different houses but they're still well engaged so i've discovered as you know in my current role that soft skills is what has given me an edge because you know the the technical skills of strategic thinking you know being able to learn you know to look at data and come up with insights be able to be a growth driven leader those are almost like by the time you become an md you need to have those you know you need to have those skills but sometimes we get to the top and we haven't built our soft skills adaptability agility being a good listener you know i still struggle with being a good listener and i struggled for very long with this with this one but i think i've gotten better and every day i learn and sometimes i don't just learn from big leaders sometimes i learn from my teams who are even very young right i learn by listening i learn by getting feedback and it has really really helped um helped me in my current role wow thanks you seem to be enjoying your current role i am it's hectic sometimes and media and covid has not been the easiest this you know this have been the the last two years have been the hardest for our business um because what happened is covid hit and you know most clients just need put media 100% off so the last two years have been very hectic and you know we've had to really be creative on how we drive growth 
you know, and being creative means being able to come up with new ways of driving the business as opposed to um, just expecting the old way we made money to keep be the same way we make money. But I enjoy it because it allows me to push myself. It allows me to think creatively every day. It allows me to work with a myriad of young talent across the continent that are brilliant. Um, it allows me to work on brands that I would never have imagined I would work on. Um, media partners across the continent, but it's a broad role. So it's a very, you know, every day there's a new challenge. So every day it feels like it's a new job every other day. Talking about challenges, and thank you so much for really talking about what you went through COVID. And definitely that was a a defining moment for many leaders because um, they were caught up with this crisis that they never knew what would happen. So for you, just in your journey, you know, from where you started, what can you say has been one of your most difficult experiences as a leader? I think there are two. I think from a technical and from a business perspective, it was 2020. And, you know, starting the year, we had lost one of our biggest clients, but we were positive that the year was going to be fine. Then COVID hit. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God, what, like, this couldn't get any worse. What, what, how, you know, how do I manage keeping, you know, I had to let go some of my team members. It was very difficult. And every month I woke up and I'm just like, this thing, this, you know, how, you know, how do we shift what our business looks like so that we can actually start making money? For me, that was a very difficult time. But I, I discovered that I'm quite adaptable and agile in terms of just what do we do now to make it work going forward? And, you know, at the same time, you know, I'm in advertising and while we are an industry that you wouldn't, you know, it's a bit modern, there's still so much sexism, patriarchy. Um, and, you know, you, st- you still meet people who don't treat women the same way they treat men. Still meet people, you know, I've had a hard time with sexism, but I've learned that, you know, I keep on saying there's something I keep on telling myself. You can only control your character. You cannot control your reputation, right? Because your reputation is going to be about what people say about you. And you can't control what people say about you. You can only control your character because that is who you are. And I've had to learn the hard lesson of just being focused on who I am and what my character is. And really not being bothered by whatever someone says or doesn't say. It's tough. But I think between the last two years, I am finally in a place where I can say, you know, I'm just like, oh, okay. Someone said what? Okay. And, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't bother me anymore. It doesn't make me sad. I'm just like, yo, it's human beings. Human beings, this is how they behave. And just really focus on who I am and what my character is. Yeah, it's so sad huh? that even in this time and age, and you know, in the advertisement uh, or your industry, you'd hope people would be more enlightened. But still, I know, right? Mm. Yeah, but so. I think I think we are in, we're still far. I, I read something from Mil, uh, Melinda Gates, and she was saying that um, it's going to take us, I think she said it was a very weird, long time before we can find equality for women, right? I think it was like, by 2030 is when we'll achieve equality for women. By 2030. And I was just like, wait, what? What do you mean by 2030, right? And I think that is the space we are in where I feel like also the last two years have kind of derailed 
you know, the women agenda. Women have been hugely affected by COVID. But I think, you know, there's in the 90s, there's a time that, you know, women were really aggressive in pushing the agenda. And we almost have to start getting back to that space. Otherwise, 2030 may not be possible to get gender equality, right? And it's a fight. It's almost like it's something we have to keep on teaching and reminding people and fighting for every day without assuming that now we are a modern country and things are a bit modern. Therefore, no. It's a continuous conversation. Wow. Yeah. Still a long way to go. Even, you know, it's not only in Africa, but also it's everywhere. It's everywhere. So I like what you have said, some of the things that you have been avoiding. So if you are to sit down with a young woman leader who Mm. wants to aspire to be the greatest that she can be in terms of taking up the leadership space, what are some of the things you can advise her to avoid to ensure that she is able to progress towards her Mm. goal or her dream? So, you know, I would tell them, be yourself, be authentic. Um, As a woman leader, there's this space where you feel, because you, you know, sometimes you're a leader in between men, and you feel like you have to be hard and aggressive and behave like a man, dress like a man, just to fit into that C-suite level. I would say, no, just be yourself, be a woman, be you, whatever your personality is, whatever you are, bring that to work. And then remember to celebrate yourself. You know, sometimes we are chasing growth in leadership so much that if you ask someone, when is the last time you just sat down and remembered what are the good things that have happened? And I'm just going to celebrate these good things as much as I'm chasing so that you, you're not, you don't live your life chasing, right? You don't want to get to a point where you're like, I've just been chasing for 20 years. What, what, are, what are you chasing? And in that space of chasing, it's so important to sit with yourself and underline what, what do I want? And what is enough for me, you know, this is enough. After this, I'm going to retire comfortably. This is enough. Because if you don't, you wake up and you find people who've been working for so many years. And you're like, I don't even know why this person is still working. You know, I don't know why you're still working the way you work today. And finding that balance is important. And the other thing I think um, I would tell them is, Never stop learning, you know, like just never, you know, never, never, never stop learning. You know, don't let success get into your head and you think, you know, everything you learn from the weirdest of quarters. One of the one of the ways I like keeping myself learning. Yes, I go back to school. I just started an MBA uh, uh, last month, but more so is learning from the younger people. Right. So if you're a leader today, the challenge is you're going to manage talent that is under the age of 25. Right. These are just different people, period, right? Gen Z is just a different target audience. So how do you actually start learning from them, right? And I call it reverse mentoring, you know, spending time with people who are younger and learning their way of thinking, learning their way of managing solutions, uh, finding solutions, managing conflicts, because they think in a completely new world because they were born in an internet world. For older leaders, it's so important to not get if you're surrounding yourself with people who are just in your age set, you're losing so much learning because the younger people are different and they are, and we, the work we are doing is impacting more the younger people than the older ones. That is so true, Sarah, the young people. And there are now so many. And that is actually changing the way leaders should respond and lead, you know. So yes. and even the way, you know, if I'm in advertising or you're in a brand or a business that's 
even if, you know, maybe today your consumers are not 100% young people, but in the next five years, <laughs> our consumers are hugely going to be people who are, under, who, are being, who are today are under the age of 25, right? And how you communicate to them, the product you give them, the experiences you give them, how you advertise to them, it's completely different, you know, to someone at the age of 40, 45. And therefore, just being able to learn that those people for me has been very critical in not just managing them in the office, but being able to share insights with my clients uh, about their businesses in, con- in, um, in connection to Gen Z. Just share with us few key differences between the older generation and this Gen Z, what, what have you seen? Just a few differences, maybe you can tell us. I think one, you know, Gen Z is about freedom and the older people are about security. So when you're at work, an older person is not going to quit, not easily, you know, the, you know they, have loyal, they are loyal. The younger person is not loyal. It's not about loyalty. It's not about security, it's about the freedom. So they will go for a job that gives them freedom, not just because I'm loyal to you. Number two, the old, you know, older people would possibly stay in jobs longer and they are patient on their careers. And younger people are just like, I'm sorry, I worked here for six months. Either you give me a promotion, I'm going to leave and do something else. And they're not just leaving to go and work. They're leaving to go do businesses. To do, you know, When I was an account executive, I didn't see someone in my age set who was leaving to go start a business. You know, you're just like, what is that? What do you mean? And now I'm seeing young people leaving and starting businesses. Yesterday I had um, a panel session with Village Capital. And, you know, I just met all these young guys who just are in the startup space and was a mentorship session. Just young people and, you know, and health price does that in campus. And every year I meet all these young people across the country, in Nairobi, in Kisumu, everywhere, who are just into startups. They are going to finish high school, college and continue with their startup as opposed to finding a job. Well, while I was finishing my college, the first thing you have to do is find a job. So that's a very different space in terms of talent. The other bit in terms of them as consumers is they are not loyal to brands, right? They are adventurous to their brands, while older people are quite traditional in the brands they use. So if I use this brand, I'm going continuously going to use this brand. Young people, I walk into the shop, I buy this. You know, I walk into a bar, I take this cocktail. Tomorrow, I'll take a different cocktail. Sarah will just be like, I walk into this bar, I have a glass of wine, I will have this thing. You can be guaranteed I'll order the same thing almost all the time. Young people are not like that. So they're very, they're brand adventurers because their minds are open. Two, they're digital fast. This is the first time we have an audience that grew up seeing mobile money. So there's no novelty in mobile money. There's no novelty in a, in a phone, in a smartphone. There's zero novelty. We are like, oh my God, we remember having a Sagem. Do you remember George having a Sagem? And, <laughs> and Sagem, and Sagem, was, there was no internet. It was such an expensive phone. What was that, right? But because, so for us, internet connection, mobile money, we are, they're so dear to us because the, it was, the, we know what it looks like to not have those services. These guys don't know what that looks like. So for them, when you're like, oh, you know, this, do you know how, it, like, what do you mean when there was no internet? You know, like, they don't know what a cyber cafe looks like. You know, they don't know what it means to carry your paper, a, a disc to go and print something in a cyber cafe. 
you know, that doesn't even exist anymore. So they're a consumer that is so digital first, and therefore how we interact with them, how we talk to them, how they make their purchase decisions is completely different uh, to someone who is possibly 35 to 45. Oh my goodness, you've said it so well. You said it so well. They're so different, not loyal, you know. Just one thing I remember yes, about Yahoo, sure. and I think this is in relation to governments, right? And to mm. politics and government. They are also a little bit more rebellious, right? So I won't vote because there's nobody to vote for. So voter apathy, if you look across the continent and you look at the numbers of people who turn up to vote over the last five years, they've continuously decreased because the young people under the age of 25, under the age of 30, they don't vote. Why? Because they just have this space of why should I vote? Nothing changes, right? So I remember having a session with one of my team members, some of my team, they're all under the age of 25. And they're just like, I was asking them, so are you going to vote? It was the day before elections. None of them said yes. They were just like, oh, maybe, I don't know. I'll go. I don't think so. I think I'll sleep. I was like, wait, what? Young people, governments, you know, especially governments have to start in Africa, have to start figuring out how to engage with young people, how to, to drive, to, to reduce that apathy. Um, one, by ensuring, you know, policy. If you look at how we make policy, we don't talk to young people, we just make it in a boardroom. Then we tell young people to follow it. So that's why apathy is so big. Two, if we are creating solutions for young people as, you know, NGOs, governments, it's almost like you have to create with those people in mind. And, you know, if it's media, I always say, I think during election, there was a show on, I think it was NTV, that was about young people, that had young people on the show talking about politics. And I was like, that's fantastic. So if you're going to rule a country that is 65% under the age of 30, you possibly should be talking to those people to figure out what they want, right? So even, you know, giving them spaces in government, in parliament, in, in boards, in media, because without hearing the voice of that person, the apathy for them as a voter just continues. They are very disengaged. Um, so they will just go online, make noise, but they won't vote and they'll move on. And that's not a good place to be, right? Because in long term, apathy becomes anger, right? So if you look at countries in Africa that have had apathy for so long, after a while, apathy becomes anger. And anger becomes, fight fast is just, you know, latent anger. And after a while, it becomes expressive anger. You know, and then you start seeing people rioting, uh, a lot of crime. But once upon a time, this person was just disengaged. But after a period of being disengaged, they just become quite angry. And and we almost have to avoid getting there because when you get there, it's quite hard to to reverse the impacts to our communities. And so that's for me, that is another very big piece on how do we need to um, deal and connect with Gen Z. Wow. And you said it so well, so true. And they are a big population. We cannot in Africa. They are the biggest. Oh yes, they are the biggest. Yeah, yeah. across the continent, they are the biggest. Across, in yes. another five years, they will be. I remember I was reading something, and another five years, the people people under the age of thirty will be more than eighty percent of the continent. So t- thank you. You brought up the issue of the continent, and I I guess you have interacted to a particular level regionally. So within Africa, as we see these changes happening, what kind of leadership should we offer in in a general sense? You know, before I didn't know what the word was, but the other day I was reading uh, a a report uh, by one of these companies, 
sub-NGO across the continent. And it was, the question was, can creativity um, transform the continent? And so for me, what we need as leaders is one, creativity. The skill to be able to solve our problems creatively. We don't have the money. We have such a huge population. Therefore, we have to find a way of being creative on how to solve our problems. And the other part, apart from creativity, is really being able to be frugal. I call it frugal, frugal innovation, you know, being able to say we're in a continent that we don't have money. <laughs> uh, we're not going to get money tomorrow. Okay. So how actually do we become frugal innovators? And every time across the continent, when I, de- when I interact mm-hmm. with young people, I think they are already there. They are being very, you know, their, their ideas are fantastic without any money. But we need to become like that as a community, as a, you know, for governments, for businesses, not just younger people, to be able to find solutions to things creatively and affordably. And that's where frugal innovation comes. You know, frugal innovation is about what do you do when you have nothing, right? And, you know, and, you know, you find all these things across the continent where because I don't have a water pump, I've somehow found a way of, you know, creating my own water pump, a country and being able to still get water, right? Because there's no medical clinic nearby. We somehow, the community has found a way of creating a space that gives them those services. That is what frugal innovation does. But now how do you take that and apply it at scale? Because it allows us to solve problems affordably as a continent, as a country, as a, as, as a people, as Africans. As communities. I agree with you. I sense, Sarah, that you, you seem motivated and excited about what you do. But what keeps, gives you that, that, that edge as a leader? What keeps you sharp? So many things. I read a lot. So I'm always reading, you know, and I'm always pushing people to read. I'm possibly a bully when it comes to reading. (laughs) I'm one of those people who will tell people, I don't understand why you don't read. So, you know, I read quite a bit and I read everything. So I read books that are for learning. So I will be reading a book about learning something new. And then at the same time, I'll be reading a very, you know, like for now, let me tell you what I'm reading. So I'm reading a book called, um, it's called Post-Corona, From Crisis to Opportunity. So this is a good book. It allows me to think, right? Then I'm reading the book by Will Smith, which is just a story of someone's life. But in both books, I somehow get some learnings, even in a book, even in a, you know, sometimes I read like a completely just romantic novel. And, you know, it allows me to keep my brain reading, to keep the culture. I listen to podcasts a lot. A lot, possibly. You know, if I'm on a flight, I'll download. If I'm on a flight for three hours, I'll download four podcasts, and I will listen to the. You know, I will listen across the time. I will listen to a podcast when I'm at the gym, when I'm walking, because we are in an era whereby before you had to have a book. Therefore, for you to read, you couldn't do anything else. But now you can get knowledge when you are doing anything. I'm cooking. I'm walking. Um, whatever I'm doing, I'm just listening to something. So I listen to a lot of podcasts, some that are about technical knowledge in my industry. Some are just about life uh, and social things. Um, and then more so, you know, I like going to school. I'm always summer in school or other. <laughs> uh, in 2019, I did my Harvard um, certification. Then now I'm doing um, MBA with HALT International Business School. 
So I'm always quiet in school. I, I kind of enjoy it. And by the way, I was not I was not that student. I didn't read a lot when I was in school. I, this just came when I was an old person. And then I learn a lot from, from young people. So I do a lot of mentorship sessions. I'm at Strathmore quite a lot. And just those sessions of mentoring young people and interacting with them, just I keep on learning as I speak to them, right? Um, and I keep on learning in a very different way because their way of thinking is so completely different from my way of thinking. So I, I would say those are the, the key ones. In terms of uh, advice, what is the best leadership advice you've ever gotten? I think the best leadership advice I've ever, ever, ever gotten was to be brave and that, you know, courage, courage to do things that you don't think you can do every day, courage to be able to speak up for yourself, courage to be able to speak up in places where no one expects you to speak. Uh, courage, just being, you know, learning to be, learning that my voice is worth and I deserve to say the things I want to say and not looking at my voice and then looking at the big room full of people and deciding maybe what I have to say is not important. Courage for me is one of, you know, being courageous, be courageous is one of the biggest, less uh, advice, best advices I've gotten in my career. Courage, courage being the best. What has been the worst? <laughs> I think the worst one was really around, you know, I once had someone who, you know, a boss who felt, you know, you have to use your, when you get power, you have to use it to get what you want. And I was just like, I don't think I'm like that, but it was younger. I was younger in my career. So I was just like, hmm, I'm just going to ignore it. So I honestly just put it somewhere and I was like, I pretended I didn't hear it. But as I grew into, you know, as I, as I grown older, I was just like, that's not my cup of tea. It's just not, you know. For me, being being a leader doesn't mean being a boss. It doesn't mean using um, my position to benefit or to bully people. It's just not what I am, right? And, you know, I had to, at that moment, I had to ignore the advice. But later, I was just like, I'm happy I ignored it because it's just not who I am. If you had to use a metaphor or something to describe who you are, what, it, what would it be? <laughs> I think it would be water, right? Let me, ocean, an ocean. Let me explain why. First, I love oceans, right? And I worked in Dar es Salaam, so you can imagine. I worked in Dar for six years. So I love oceans because they are so calming, but they are so powerful, right? They are fluid, they are agile, they move into crevices and pieces, but they can be powerful beyond measure and they can be calm. Wow, that's so lovely. I love that. Yes, I do. I love oceans too. I love going to the coast. I mean, I know just staring, go, just staring at it, like just the tranquility, just lying on a on a on a pool bed and just looking into the sea. Reading a book is so calming. And as you say, we saw tsunamis. What what was happened a few years ago when the tsunamis came? So true. A good good analogy. Good analogy. What can you say is your leadership style? I know you've explained quite a bit, but in summary. What is your leadership style? I think my I'm really, a, you know, I lead from the heart. I'm a people first leader always. For me, leading from the heart doesn't mean you're a pushover, doesn't mean you say yes to everything, but it means I remember to be, to have empathy in whatever situation. It doesn't matter what is going on. You know, it's to remember to have empathy. It's to remember that I'm dealing with another person. I'm dealing with a human being. I'm dealing with someone with feelings. And sometimes it's to remember that people are going through life and there are other things beyond this job that they're doing that could be impacting 
how they turn up at work and being able to, to figure out, is this person going through something that is beyond what we are discussing? And so for me, leading from the heart, having empathy and people first. I, you know, I'm a true believer that, you know, if people, the, the talent that works for you is happy and engaged, they will make money for you. And it is more sustainable as opposed to pushing people and now everyone is unhappy. They might make money, but it will be for the short term. Well, in terms of legacy and really commending you and hearing what you do with young people and mentoring them. So in terms of your legacy, how would you want it to look like? I think I have two items for my legacy. I think one is around having, you know, I want to leave this industry having grown women to leadership right? Um, And having driven more women to leadership positions in our industry. And, you know, not just women, but, you know, excellent women leaders. And the second one for me is, I think the only, you know, I believe, I'm very convicted about the fact that the only way to transform the continent, to kill the poverty, you know, to reduce the poverty in the continent is to get people to become entrepreneurs, right? Social entrepreneurs, uh, commercial entrepreneurs is getting young people to shift their mind from I have to get a job to I can create work and so everything I do for me purpose in my in, things that are about my legacy and my purpose are in those two areas activating young people to become entrepreneurs whether it's in technical skills finding them investment and the other bit is in mentoring um, women to become leaders in my industry. Thank you, Sarah. Well, well put. So in terms of the moral of your leadership story, what is it? I look out to the world and I am here because some people, you know, I I met some good people who helped me get where I am. And I believe them, you know, we have to, as you climb the ladder, you have to send the ladder down. You know, if I'm at the top and the only person at the top, it's, it's not helpful, right? If I want to be at the top and look around and see people who look like me, whether it's because they're Black or whether it's because they're women. I just, you know, that diversity and inclusion that allows people of all types to have equal um, opportunities, for me, that is the moral of my life. It's just being able to say, after all of it, I drove inclusion. There was diversity. I just didn't leave the I didn't leave the world the same way I found it. And you talked about people who helped you. Yeah, who are those people and what did they do? I've, I've had very many people in my career that have really been helpful. Uh, but I think one of the you know one of the leaders that some of the leaders that taught me how to be a good leader were just bad leaders, like all these bad bosses. And then I learned how not to become like them. You know, and I would just always write in my journal the things I don't want to become. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm grateful for them because they taught me what I don't want to be. And then I'm grateful to people who taught me what I should be. And some of them, you know, there's a lady I worked for. She's called Nelly Musembi. And she used to be my boss in Tanzania. And she's such a human leader. And I know. And for the first time, I was like, I know what I'm trying to become, but I haven't seen it. You know, until I worked with her, and I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is what I've been looking for, right? This is the this is what I've been looking for, and I was quite young, so it was quite, you know I was really happy to meet her. And then I'm surrounded. Honestly, my mom is uh, the most ambitious, never giving up human being I know in my entire life. Like she went to college, she got married, she hadn't gone to college, 
did her first diploma, second diploma when she was still married, having children, did her first degree, did her master's when she still had children, right? And I'm here struggling to do my master's and I do, I'm not even having children, you know, and she just doesn't give up. And when she decides, and she never even repeated one class, can you imagine? Like she never failed a class. And so my mom has taught me and given me the spirit of just knowing if you put your mind to it, laser focus, laser focus, just laser focus. Avoid distractions. They're always going to be there. They're always going to be a detractor somewhere. You have to just have laser focus on the things you want to do. So my mom has hugely shaped what my life looks like. And then it's so it's such a weird balance because then my dad has hugely shaped what my spiritual leadership looks like. And therefore, one has given me a lot of ambition and fire. And the other one has given me a lot of spirituality and balance. And for that, I am really, you know, I'm really, really grateful. Wow. Thank God for great parents. Thank God. Yeah, for I, great I say that every day. Yeah. Wow. Wow, Sarah. Thank you so much. Any final thoughts or things that you may have wanted to say before we close anything more? The only thing I would like to say is we are in a, you know, in this era as leaders, we're in a space where we've never been here before, right? We are, you know, we've never been here before. We've never been in, in a much connected world. This is the most connected the world has ever been, both online, you know, and physical. You could be, you know, COVID spread so quickly because you can be in China in the morning and in exactly 12 hours, you could be in another continent, right? So we are connected both physically and we are connected online. To it's a complex world because we have all these generations that are so different at the same time. And as leaders, you know, our role is to find the balance to manage this complexity and to manage it sustainably and with a, you know and with empathy. You know, so how do we not lose our minds, you know, and, you know, st still stay sane uh, in this space? And for me is if you have empathy, if you lead from the heart, um, if you listen from a soft skills perspective, then you're always going to be able to lead in this complex situation. From a technical perspective, for me, I found three skills that are very critical in this new era. One, strategic thinking. You know, you have to just push yourself to learn how to be a strategic thinker to our understanding how to read data and get insight that you can action, right? You know, so how do you get data and then see what the data can do for you? Because it's a data world. There's so much information out there. How do you action that information? And three is embrace technology. This thing is not going to go away, right? Someone said the other day, if, you could, if you're not going to be able to understand technology or data in another five years, it will be like people today who tell you to print their emails, right? <laughs> print for me your email so that I can read it. You know, it's going to be the things that as leaders, we just have to be able to know to manage what the world looks like. Thank you so much. That is such rich knowledge. Thank you for sharing it. Sarah, thank you for coming. I believe that you have shared us your story. It's been a great, inspiring story. Thank you. And I wish you all the best as you continue leading. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciated the conversation. It was quite interesting. So thank you very much. Thank you for joining us in today's podcast. We hope you're leaving with insights that will help you live and lead better. We appreciate our sponsors, BNG Consultants Limited, 
and BNG Center for Leadership Coaching for keeping us on air. Bye for now. See you in our next episode.